Welcome to Solutions, where men come out of the shadows to testify, giving tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we have on a show a leader, an advocate for equal rights, a poet who leads with his actions as well as his words in his community, a husband, a man of respect and professionalism. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Watson. Hi. Coming to the stage, you may remember him from the What's Going Down episode. No. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. that. That was a great intro, man. <laughs> hey, hey wow. no problem, man. Wow. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. You ready to answer these questions yeah. and drop these gems today? Yeah, listen, I'm going to impart what I can and whether or not they're gems, that'll be up to the audience to decide. So, yeah. Hey, man, you're going <laughs> to help someone. We know that today. Man, um, I I, first of all, I didn't ask you how you were doing. How are you doing? You know, uh, and I appreciate you asking. Uh, I'm doing good. You know, I feel blessed. My family's doing good. Wife is doing great. You know, um, th there's there's a lot to be hopeful for in this upcoming year, despite all that's transpired uh, and, and is looking like is about to transpire. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I can't I can't complain. I can just, you know, Stay prayed up and and count my blessings. How about you, bro? I'm doing good, man. It feels like we're living in a parallel universe. For the first <laughs> time, a lot of people feel that that's not my problem. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you must remember the lesson that Spider-Man taught us. Mm. If you don't trip the bad guy, he might end up being your problem. Ah, great point. Great point. I do remember that scene. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. You ready to get this thing started? Let's do it, man. All right. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive towards the man you are today? Who or what defined you? Wow. You know, um, I don't know if I would I would count it as one sing, single person. Um, I think I've been more of a gatherer of qualities of men that I the, the qualities that I admire in the men that, I, that I've had in my life. So yeah, I grew up, you know, typical story, uh, single mom, you know, um, and, you know, had to kind of piece it together. They were track coaches. They were um, pre-college counselors. They were teachers. There were, um, and every once in a while, you know, um, I would go to like an event and there would be somebody at that event that, uh, showed an example that I thought was useful. And I would just, just kind of pick and, 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 and pull certain things that I thought were great assets to, to add to my toolbox and things that I want to develop within myself. And so I would say more or less that's kind of been my thing and, and almost even like historically as well. So like, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a historical buff, you know, and um, there are people in our pre-slavery history that I draw inspiration from, along with people who are currently existing that I've actually met, that I've been like, man, I learned that thing, you know, that thing that you do that is so specific to that person that you want to enhance and draw from um, within yourself. So I wish I could say there was one person, but there have been a multitude of people that have impacted my life. So I, I think that speaks to the community of men that, that make men. You, you said a mouthful. You said a mouthful just now. I want I want to go over some of the things you said. You said that it was a, a plethora of people. So what I would like to get from you, and I like the fact that you said pre-slavery because people, our existence was 
before slavery. <laughs> a lot of right. people don't acknowledge that. We're not just right. slavery. Right. And I like the fact that you brought that up, but I also would like to hear at least one thing from pre-slavery that inspired you, one gem, and also one thing that inspired you throughout concurrently in your life. So, um, your time. yeah, okay. So pre-slavery, I would say I was inspired by the story of Thutmose the Third, And I think there was, you know, I, I think a lot of brothers have this, or, or there's probably a good amount of brothers that were inspired by, you know, Egypt and Nubia and the pharaohs. Did you know the pharaohs are black? Oh, word, they were, you know what I mean? And then you start flipping through, you're like, oh yeah, the pharaohs were black, you know? And um, I think one particular pharaoh that stood out to me was Thutmose Third, because his story felt a little similar to mine, at least according to how it was written. He was supposed to be heir to the throne, but his father passed, so he had to grow up without his dad. And the co-regent, uh, Hapshetsu, uh, basically took over and she controlled Egypt and kicked him out uh, and took away what was supposed to be rightfully his. Um, Thutmose III built himself up, and from what I understand, there were other people involved that helped create a path for him back to the throne. And I think what made him stand out was that to me, he was just as much a statesman as he was a warrior. And I think for the time in my life that I needed that, that type of example, um, you know, brother was going through a lot of stuff, you know, and had to find that inner warrior, but also needed to find a, a certain level of peace and understanding that all that has transpired doesn't mean you go to war with everyone, but it does mean that you have to understand where your level of um, just creating a, a space where you can grow. You know, because if you think about it, if you're a warrior, that means you're at war a lot. And who wants to be at war forever, you know? Um, but if you're a statesman, that means you're trying to establish something. And you're trying to bring people into something that is meaningful that they can also grow from too. And so that was my pre-slavery inspiration for a long time. I think it's part of the reason why I, I was very um, connected to the, to the, the idea and concept of Afristocracy, which is my, my IG name, because I wanted to build something that in my head would be a lasting legacy that would go beyond not just what I did and the things that I created, but the ideas that people could connect to. Um, and then I would say for more contemporary, somebody that inspired me, <clears throat> you know, I, I think um, my track coach from high school, um, and, 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 and I think more, more recently, uh, kind of understanding that he was very much, he, he wielded a quiet hand. I'll never forget, uh, it was a track meet and I ran the 400 intermediate hurdles and I ran it a little cocky, a little like whatever, you know, and I did good, you know, but he knew I could do better. So I came back and sat in the bleachers next to my track coach. He said to me, if you ever run like that for me, um, don't even don't even bother coming. You know what I'm saying? Just go ahead and, and stay home. 
And I did good. I, I was in second. I did good. I came in second, whatever, you know. Uh, I did my job, you know. And I think for me, that was deeply disappointing because he was a soft-spoken man. He never really, you know, you know, he, he told you, he built you up um, and he, you know, he, he told you insightful things, but he never like got at me. And it wasn't a really get at me thing, but it was, it was as get at me as you could get from him, you know? Mm. And I felt like I deeply disappointed him and I might've hurt him. And I was like, yo, I can't do that. So I got back out there. It was the next heat after that. And I mean, I killed it, man. I, when I say I killed it, I went through them hurdles. Like, like at the other end of that hurdle was kingdom come. Like I was going to heaven once I could, like I knew that, you know, I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to disappoint somebody who put so much into helping prepare and train me, you know, that type of thing. That's amazing that you said that. There's so much I want to unpack. First of all, that first guy from pre-slavery, what's his name again? Uh, the third. the third, third sounds like a Disney movie. That means yeah. if you related to him, that means we were. I'm expecting a Disney character movie coming out about you pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the dope. Warrior, yeah. The warrior inside of you really, really probably needed some to learn restraint and become a statesman. That's what I got from that. The gem yeah. I got was it's okay to be a warrior, but there there is an evolution to that. There's an evolution after the revolution. There is. And I would even go so far as to say that in that, I also understood the concept of in many things, you will be asked to be a conqueror. And in many things, you will be asked to be a shepherd. And you have to discern between the two what what you're going to come forth with and, and how you'll be able to transition between the two, being a conqueror and a shepherd. The things that you will, you will need to go out and take and the other things that you will have to try to cultivate, you know, and that's 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 the, the kind of the how I've kind of embodied or try to embody that concept. Absolutely. Do you have a vision board? I did. I did. I, I created a vision board. It was a little while ago. And the interesting thing is uh, a lot of stuff came together for me in that vision board. It was it was probably like four or five years ago I did the vision board. But but um, it was it was a great uh, feeling because it kind of laid out everything in front of me. And to be honest with you, a lot of much, much of what I put on that vision board, I've accomplished. Well, let's talk about that then, sir. I would like to know what was the apex that you achieved on your vision board and let me know what apex you're trying to achieve now. Wow. So I think the, the biggest thing was uh, creating a media company uh, uh, with my wife. That was something that I feel really great about. I think that's the apex right now. Um, Black River Life Media, uh, myself and my wife, uh, Colette Watson, uh, created that media company. And we've managed to do quite a few things. Uh, more recently, uh, we did a commercial for a um, substance abuse uh, company or, or nonprofit that helps uh, people with, with drug addiction uh, in the area called uh, Ebony House. Uh, we did a commercial for them. I did uh, a short film uh, about a STEM uh, professional, uh, Dr. T. It's Theme City with Dr. T. We got accepted to uh, a few film festivals, so that was really gratifying uh, and validating too, because sometimes you create media and you just want to know 
You know, is it good enough? Is it something that's meaningful? And in your head, you know, yeah, you know, but you want pe an audience to be able to appreciate it the same way that you do. Um, and then I got to do a number of different like promos uh, with a black owned business, uh, which is called uh, La Pay. And so that's something that I'm, I'm still working on. And we've got a upcoming documentary called Desert Roots, uh, which speaks to the growth of the leadership in the Phoenix uh, area. Uh, and I think that's particularly important because in different pockets of the US, we may not be um, as um, densely populated in any particular city, if you think about the country as a whole. And so it, to me, it tells a story, Desert Roots tells a story of how you can create um, black power with as few people as there might be. But if you all believe in the same things, then you can build something that now attracts more black people to come to where you are, which I think that is something that Phoenix has has managed to, to do. A lot of people don't look at Phoenix as being any type of uh, black metropolis or significant in the ways that it contributes to the culture. But I think in many ways, Phoenix has because of the odds that they've managed to defy and consistently uh, attempt to defy in being black in the middle of the desert and trying to build build pyramids in the sand. So I think essentially uh, that I'm, I'm eager to see that story get out there. Uh, we've shot it. We're in post-production right now and uh, we're excited about it. Talk to me about how early you started goal setting. You said you got this film coming up that talks about black power building pyramids in the sand, which I think is very powerful and I'm very intrigued to see it. You yeah. said you did a vision board four or five years ago but how early yeah. did you start goal setting so i think for me it was i gotta be honest i'm not a real like uh short-term long-term goal setter write it down type person it's really more in my head and I, and, I, and i have to say that you know through the grace of god um he has allowed me to be uh very discerning um, when it comes to the things that I choose to spend my time doing, and then also um, committed to building off of um, the successes that I make. So I think it's been more short-term goal setting. And to be honest, maybe I would have done better and, uh, and experienced uh, more success faster if I would have been a little bit more organized and laid it out in front of me. But, but I think it's the artist in me that's kind of like, you know, I go with where I'm inspired. So it's always been... from state to state. This is bad. Very, you know, um, and I think since I got married, I understand how important collaboration can be to witnessing your your ability to grow the things that you create um, faster and with more uh, profundity. You know, in terms of it having um, depth to it. You know, because sometimes just in your own head, yeah, you can do good things, but you can do great things when you have other people contributing to its greatness, you know? And I think um, having less selfishness, you know what I mean? Because, you know, you come from a world as being an artist, you like, and, and particularly the time I spent being a poet, you know, you write, you drop it, you go in, you get out, you're like, yo, man, I, I did that thing, right? And it's all the spoils are all yours, right? 
because you did the work, you put in the time, you prepared, you you organized where you were going to be to perform, and you let people know you were going to be there, the whole thing, and then it comes to fruition and the immediacy of that, right? It's immediate gratification. It's, I wrote it, I performed it, and people enjoyed it, right? But I think with um, media, at least, it's so many different layers of people that would could could contribute to make it that much better. Mm. And for me, I think I have gone from being like a solo assassin to um, becoming a person who is more in a general's position, you know, um, and not afraid to get my hands dirty by no stretch of the imagination, but able to delegate a little bit more and also allow other people's contributions to come into creating the final product, you know, and being a good listener and also be just making sure that what I'm doing, it's, I'm not doing it for my fingerprint on it. I'm doing it so that it has every, the, the people who I think matter most contributing to it, the people who are, are passionate about contributing to it in a way that it can affect everyone that is consuming it that media, that, you know, idea, whatever it is. You said allow people to come in. Talk to me about the sacrifice and growing from going to a solo assassin to a teammate. Talk to me about the sacrifices you've made to make sure that you can humble yourself to get there. What did you do? How did you do it? I think um, to some extent you, you have to look at the work that you've done and then ask yourself, how could it have been better? And then you have to ask, how can I also not just do this thing better, but how can I expand on it, right? Because just like if you think about a, a, a personal career, you know, if you started in the mailroom, killed it in the mailroom, you work your way up to, you know, some type of associate, some type of specialist, some type of BVP, that that process is one where you're not the only one achieving. Um, you're working with other people on projects that now you own a piece of and you're kind of building together. You know, I guess that's kind of what makes companies successful. Um, it's not just the singular idea that's a great idea, but the people who facilitate executing that idea. And I think along the way, I've come to understand that I could probably still be a poet right now or an actor, you know what I mean? And that would be, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but to understand what the art is, the art form that I'm a part of, is to understand it in as many paths mm. as possible so that mm. you understand how to contribute to the whole in a way that the storytelling becomes more impactful. So as a writer, yeah, that's one way. As a performer, that's another way as well. But what about creating the space where now you're impacting other performers you're impacting other people who who are a part of creating that visual art and telling a story that other people are able to kind of understand and walk away from with a, a certain level of enlightenment, right? Because any any artist um, that that puts their heart into their work wants it to go beyond just that particular moment. You know, it goes beyond that moment by the people who are also along the ride with you contributing to that 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 work. But then being able to speak with more than one voice because it's not just my voice that's in that in that work. 
right other See, I, I get what you're saying right there you acknowledged it you came into it but talk to me about the interim period where, you, where it was hard for you to acknowledge it when you're running solo it's uh, hard to, it's hard to well, give up give up the creativity yeah, it's and say, ego hey, man it's it. ego it's, that that's is ego it's, but it's tell, all tell ego. me uh, for someone who has ego yeah. right now like for someone who's listening tell me the recipe so, that you came up with to get past that here, I'm gonna hand this off to you. Here you go. You can take it, and you don't really want to let it go, but you've learned to let it go. But in that interim, talk to me where you were. Okay, I, I will say that it, a lot of it had to do with, you know, I think me getting a little older and just being more mature and understanding that what I was doing, I had to come to the crossroad. Am I doing it for me? Am I, or am I really doing it for my people? Who am I really doing it for? Because when you get on that stage, this is the thing that we have to understand. A, a, a switch can flip where you might've wrote it for the people and, and been like, yo, I'm about to drop these jewels, right? But then when you get the love, there's a certain level of just self, I think is the word, grandizement, like you, you, you feel big, right? Great. And you you love that feeling. So yes. now the writing now becomes how much more can I get from um, impressing people or dropping jewels where I can get that type of adulation from the audience that yeah, yo Brian, you dropped the jewel. Oh man, that was that was deep. Yo, say that again. Oh man, hey, I need you to come. I need you to come to my open mic and perform. Hey Brian, man, yo, I saw what you did, man. That was really great. Hey, we're doing this thing next week. I need you to come, that type of thing. Now, are you doing it for the attention that you garner? Or are you doing it for the people that you say that you want to write for and uplift? And I think for me, um, performance after performance, I started to see, you know, my ego be more of the thing. And I don't, I don't, I didn't like that that's what I started doing it for, you know? And I think on a certain level, you start to see a certain a certain part of your, like you, you're not as deep as you think you are. You might be, actually you might be a little shallow, <laughs> you know? And I think when you come to terms with that, you you it forces you to take a step back. And I'm trying to think if there was a single performance that I can think of where something like that came about. Um, but, but I think it, more or less, I think it affected my writing. It affected my writing and I didn't feel as inspired by my own writing and I didn't feel um, I felt like I was in this constant loop of performing, performing for the audience to receive me versus performing because I want to move something within the community. I want to have an impact that changes people's minds, that opens people's thoughts. You, you had know? to change where the source came from. When you started to make that change to where the creativity was, where the river was flowing from, mm -hmm. I want to incline and say, once you let go of the ego, the river of ego, you might get an ocean of knowledge from your maturity. Yeah. But that, yeah. but that stream to get there could go down a little creek. It can go slide down some rocks. It can go yeah. through a mud patch. So it, just the development of you getting to the full circumference of your flow is a hard transition. It is. I'm looking at this shirt for those who can't see or listen to a podcast. He has this great shirt on and if you could hold it up to the camera a little bit. And I want you to explain this shirt to me really quick. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so I graduated from Hampton university and I think for me, 
Um, going to HBCU, uh, going to HBCU was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think, you know, upon reflection, I, you know, from first to sixth grade, I went to predominantly white schools. And from sixth to, you know, 12th grade, I went to black schools. And I'll never forget, I had a, um, a college. So I went to this thing, it's called New Horizons College Club. And it was a club for high schoolers for you to understand what it is that you would need to do in order to get into college. And I'll never forget, there was a brother there, counselor. I asked him, how do I decide whether or not I want to go to a black school or a white school? You know what this brother said to me? He said, really the question is, do you know your black self? <laughs> do I know my black self? Do I? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of like, it was kind of like, it's like, uh, do you know that moment in uh, Menace Society? It's like, Kane, do you care whether you live or die? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was my <laughs> academic moment, right? Yeah. I didn't live that life. I didn't I live the Menace to Society life, yeah. but I lived the life of the conflict of who am I in this world of whiteness and blackness struggling to define itself. You know, I am the child of Jamaican immigrants. So, at first glance and even just listening, hey, this guy's an African-American, right? You know, yeah. but I grew up in a household that was profoundly Jamaican. And I spent a lot of time and my mom really focused on raising me Jamaican, you know, from the food <laughs> to, you know, I'm going cut your behind if you come in here with any C grid, the yeah. type of pressures that people would think that mostly Japanese people have, but. Jamaicans have that same pressure that you better succeed and you better not be a disgrace, that type of thing. Right. Caribbean folks understand that, that that's, it's no joke. It's a, a real thing because think about it. Parents came all the way here from Jamaica and then you're gonna come, you're gonna come here and you're gonna make a fool of yourself. So, you know, I understood that. But I think in me finding my, like, you know, do I know my black self is where is it that I see myself and who who am I in the in the in terms of um, our community? What is my voice? Who will I be? How do I forge a path that is distinctly who I am versus who it is that I think I should be? You know, and and, and that journey is still I'm still on that journey. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It doesn't stop. You don't just be like, oh yeah, I'm there now. <laughs> I know everything that is related to blackness and I'll tell other people how to be better black people. Nah, it's not, it's not that. I'm still discovering um, what it means to be uh, first generation uh, Jamaican in this country. I'm still discovering what it means to be a black man, which to me, um, a lot of it means how do I become more than a man? Which, you know, is it's founded to me uh, most basically in Christian principles, but essentially this construct of race is something that has been de de decided to define us in ways that make us more confused than we really should be about where it is that we fit in, in, in the world. And the construct of manhood similarly, which is to say that don't get me wrong, there are clearly defined things that as a man, you should, you should be considering um, and how it is that you move about the world, but you should also think about what the final level is, right?
because the final level isn't just being a man. It's being more than a man. It's being discerning in ways that are almost, you know, the ways that, that God would define. You, you having overcome the things that the world says and who you could be spiritually, you know? And across religions, that's technically what everyone is trying to achieve is going beyond what your humanity defines for you. And your humanity defines for you race and gender. And then go along as you as you please, but but I need you to take these shackles with you, you know? But mm -hmm. I would say that you should look to how it is that you understand the world, how you understand yourself and make sure your spirituality is deeply connected so that you are not confined to, to the things that people say you are to be, but you're able to grow beyond that, you know? And I think that's something that, you know, some people might argue with me, but I think spiritually, that is more spiritually defined than I, and, and important, I should say, more spiritually important than what, what people define in terms of your blackness and in terms of your, um, your gender as a man. And to me, though I, 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 I hold dear um, my heritage as a Jamaican, but I also know I'm African. And I know when we think about Africa, very, very few times do we understand what that pre-slavery Africa is. Not Africa as we know it today. You know what I mean? Because imperialism took place. So even Africa today is as affected as the black man is in America. Africa today is that affected because colonialism, imperialism, you know, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Cecil Rhodes, you know, the white man's burden the things that they did globally to impact or try to impact who we are, uh, I think those things are inherent in how it is that that a lot of times we move within these constructs in the struggle against whiteness. But what if we didn't define ourselves in a struggle with whiteness? What if we, we defined ourselves more along the lines of what have I learned when we look back at our ancestors from the, from the earliest times that they've been on this earth, what did they do before whiteness was involved? What did they do? And how do I find ways to replicate that within myself to build, to, to grow, to inspire, and to leave a legacy that um, yields understanding that, that lightens the path for the next for whoever is to come so that they're not taking on more than what they should. And the choices that they make are not just based in intelligence, but they're based in wisdom, right? Wisdom is, is always been the key to all of this. You know, intelligent information can be acquired. Wisdom is more or less how you, how you take that information and you understand the world and the do's and the don'ts and the things that you have to draw pause and say, you know, I'm gonna ponder that before I even respond. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit with that because I'm not sure if I'm fully evolved on that subject, you know? And, and, and know that Dr. King went through that evolution, Malcolm X went through that evolution and there was different phases for them where they had to look back at what they learned and was like, that was wrong. I, I think I got it wrong. Now I got to build off of what, what I think was wrong 
and then forge forward with what I think might be right and know that that's still another layer of, of evolution. You know, I don't think too many people would disagree with the things you're saying right now. And to sum it all up, to me, it's, it's just the difference between right and wrong. First, we have to find what's right and what's wrong. And throughout my history on this planet, it's nothing better than the original article. Anything that's actually original is always better than the tears that come after it because it's lessened. So what you're saying is absolutely correct. How important is it to leave where you're from to develop yourself to where you're going? I think I think that's that's part of your journey, right? If we, if we call life a journey, then that means that there's consistently a point where you're starting from and you're going somewhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. And you could even still be in the same neighborhood you've been in for the last 30 years and still be on a journey. You know what I mean? Because it's internal. So it doesn't matter. You could physically go places and learn absolutely nothing. Really, the journey is inside, you know? And, and it is how you acquire um, new information, but also how you learn from the information in terms of the experiences that take place. How much of a student are you of yourself? How much of a student are you of people? And then are you consistently taking notes, trying to learn and build off of those things? Because before there were institutions of learning, there were guys that sat in a circle that discussed philosophy. And then that philosophy became a school of thought. Then people did studies, research, they wrote, they experimented, and then books came out of those things. And then you have disciplines, you know what I'm saying? So if we break things down in the reverse order in terms of how they create and they became institutions, then we have to understand that all of it begins with a person acquiring information, mulling it over, you know, testing it, you know what I mean? Gathering with others of similar mindset, discussing and debating, and then going out in the world and applying it, and then formally coming a determination if, if what I thought in theory is now truly a law. You know what I mean? Everything in life is an idea in someone's head first. Always. Whatever, always. whatever it is, it was someone's idea before it became into transparency. So what you say in life being a journey, that is an amazing thing. But I do believe you need to travel a little bit to expand yourself. You do. Try, you do. Try new foods, new horizons, new dialects. Those things expound you. But I have another question for you. Can you, you know, tell real me? quick, before you move on, I want to say something. For those brothers and sisters that can't travel, you know, may not have the means, know that those cultures are around you. Yeah, like 10 minutes so, away. Yeah, you... <laughs> You know, you might be able to have a, a longer and more in-depth conversation with the brother at the bodega that makes your sandwiches to know how he got here. You know what I mean? Or some of the people in the neighborhood that you would pass by and you don't think of a thing because they're not your people. They just live there. But you know what? If you have an exchange with them, you might get something from what their international experience might have been that allows you to kind of explore those ideas. But that's the only thing I want to add. Yeah, and, and I'm going to add on top of that. Once you start talking to different people and they extend your mind to the possibility of thinking, that's what Google is for. Now you're going to go Google something because the internet has everything on it, but you don't know what to look for. You're ignorant to it. But once mm -hmm. you get a, get a, a whiff of what you might be looking at, now you might want to go see Egypt. Now you yeah. might want to do things and you realize, oh, it's not even that, that don't even cost that much. I can save up whatever how long it takes to do what now you have goals 
See, talking to somebody who can give you goals. New aspirations exactly. can give you goals. And the question I was going to ask you is, can you tell us the story of a moment where you realized your growth? Hark, harking back to where you said Malcolm and Martin found out they were wrong about some things. Were you ever wrong about some things and had to develop yourself in a growth situation? I, I was. I was. So, um, so I... I worked in, uh, I still work in the banking industry, right? And um, I had an opportunity to um, take a promotion, which is actually the promotion that got me to Arizona. Uh, so I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, but originally from New Jersey and um, originally from Plainfield, New Jersey. And, and I worked, um, well, I, I won't name it, the, the brokerage firm, we'll call it the brokerage firm. I worked for the brokerage firm, um, for a very long time and then the financial crisis hit. And as a result of the financial crisis, um, they went through a transition. <laughs> People could probably guess what company it was. They went through a transition and they got bought by a bank. And that bank essentially um, had had opportunities within their uh, business uh, for me to, to be able to come out to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And I took advantage of that and I said, all right, hey, yeah, I'm an actor and I'm a poet, and that's all well and good, but I know, you know, I'm at a, a juncture now with, with writing and performing where, you know what? I, I feel like I'm not doing it for the right reasons and it's not coming out the way that it used to, you know? Um, let me go ahead and, you know, do this corporate America thing and see where it takes me, because yo, I got a promotion and they're gonna give me a reload, they're gonna give me more money. Yo, I'm about to go to Arizona. <laughs> This must be, this is a sign. This is a sign. This is telling me the, the direction that I should, should go in. Um, and it was cool the first couple years, but then, and I hate to say it like this, but this is what it is. You know, no matter how high up you are on the chain when it comes to corporate America, you're still on the corporate plantation. Mm. Which is to say that you are consistently moving the will and the objectives of the company. That means your talent, your energy, your time is fully devoted to those efforts. And so there's less time for you to be creative. There's less time for you to be, um, to explore uh, and less time for you to uh, further the journey that you're on when it comes to your, to your art and your creativity. And not only that, it's stressful as hell. For, for, for what reason? Absolutely none whatsoever other than the company is saying this is a big deal. Okay, you know hold on, I mean? wait, wait, wait. Let me stop you right there. I want to dive okay. deep right now. I want to go to one of your lowest moments within that time frame. But I just I, I want to hear about it, but I also want to know how. This is what we talked about, the how-to. Right. For somebody who might be working in corporate America or their CEO of their own company, or they have to work with people, they constantly, constantly work with people who are committed to misunderstanding you. How did you do? How did you deal with that? Um, I don't think I did did well with that, and I think the reason why I didn't do well with that was because it wasn't in my heart. Like I wasn't passionate about it. You know, when you're not passionate about something, you might be good at it. You you might even be great at it, but at the same time, you don't internalize it in ways that that you are hungry for what's next. What can I build off of this? Right. 
And because I wasn't passionate about it and I wasn't, I wasn't particularly hungry for what's next, um, it was something where it, it was draining, you know? Cause I was like, what are, what are we talking about right now? What, like the things that we, we created as issues. I mean, I dealt with things related to like, um, like HR, you know, somebody said the N word to things like, you know, overtime to, you know, um, temporary contract workers. Um, and, and these are things that I'm saying to myself are like stressors. You, you're like, you're stressing, you know, making sure that morale is good, making sure you're hiring the right people, making sure that you're um, coordinating schedules to make, make sure you have enough people to, you know, cover certain things. And to me, I was like, man, is this what the vast amount of knowledge and information that has been afforded me through my collegiate education and my experiences of life have afforded me to run this department and unit within a okay. financial, you know what I'm saying? All right, like, all right. So, but, so, so tell us what was the apex? What happened? What, what was I the, think the apex for me was, you know, there was, there was moments where, you know, I'm debating with, you know, uh, people who are my, you know, leaders, executive leaders, and we don't agree. You know, no, no, I, I understand. I understand yeah. where you're at mentally, but how did you deal with it? What was the end all? Did you walk away? I think did you for find me, it was, yeah, I think for me is I didn't, I didn't fully walk away. Uh, what I did was I took a step back um, in what would be my corporate career so that I could put more time into my media career. And that, that by leaps and bounds helped me so much because, you know, now the burden of being the leader within the corporate corporation, it wasn't heavy on me. I can be an individual contributor. And being an individual contributor allows me to be a leader in my own life, in my own pursuits as an entrepreneur, as a creative, so that I can devote where my leadership energy is really committed to the things that I know that are important to me. And I can have the the, the focus that I know that I needed to building the things that were important to me. I Whereas think, I think not to, not to cut you off, but I think yeah. that you being a creator and working in an establishment where nothing's being created is where the disconnect happened. Again, you had to find your source. My brother, he came on the show. His name is Carte Fowler. He, he described that to me that when sometimes when creatives get a job, it not necessarily is going to be your life source, but it's your crowdsourcing fund to source your creativity. Don't look at a job as a, I got to get a job. You have to look at it as your crowdsourcing because you can always ask people for money to fund your creativity. Sometimes you got to go out there and earn it and call it a crowdsourcing thing to fund the Correct. joy in your life. So I think that's where you actually, what you actually did. You, you tried it. Them shoes wasn't for you, but you didn't, you didn't take the shoes off. You put some slippers on and say, you know what? I'm <laughs> I'm gonna put these slippers on because over here are my sneakers, but I don't want to wear my sneakers out, but I enjoy walking in them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think the cool thing is, is that I learned, I learned, I still learn from my, my job. I still learn from it. You know, it's made me a better communicator. It's made me a person who, you know, can, I can talk to all people from all walks of life because essentially that's what I do now. And I'm very solutions oriented. So 
I get like crazy scenarios and folks who I've built a rapport with are glad that I'm the person who's working on it because they know I can find a solution. How that works for me from a production standpoint when it comes to media is I feel like I can kind of work any particular angle regardless of you know what we might be limited by in terms of budget, what we might be limited by in terms of um, equipment, and we can do the storytelling with very little, and it still be impactful storytelling. Angle. And so that's quotation my marks. problem. Though. Work any right. angle. Quotation marks. I got you. Right. <laughs> Work any angle. Well, yeah. talk to me about mentorship. You say you you lead so many people. That means you deal with people's problems being late for work. You deal with the stresses of COVID-19. You deal with all these families and people that come in there to deal with, that's dealing with an avalanche of stress. Talk to me, you're, you're basically a mentor for some of these people when it comes to being around money, especially that. Yeah. Talk to yeah, me about well, what the patience you need to have for that. Well, I think, um, and you know, when I was in a position where I managed people, yeah, I had to talk people off the ledge a lot. I had to, you know, talk people into uh, being more motivated and focused, you know, year in, year out. You know, I'm evaluating these people. I'm hiring these people. I'm determining the course of, you know, what happens in their career. I'm determining if if they even have a career, you know what I mean? And in, in, within that role. Um, and in that, you know, I'm able to impart what might be beneficial to facilitating their growth, but also putting them on the path of being a student of themselves, right? So I could tell you what to do, but you probably know better than I ever would about how to make yourself better. The question is, have you even investigated that? Have you even broken down the things? So I'll take one thing that I see that's an observation and kind of tell you step for step what I think might be missing from that for you to, to meet the success that awaits you. But okay. then I'm gonna tell you how I, how I see that and how it is that you might be able to investigate other things. But go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 no problem. I, I'm loving this. I want to engage yeah. what you're saying. Can you give tips to a person right now on how to start investigating themselves? Yeah, I mean, think about where you, so a lot of times we, we anticipate, all right, I'm gonna do this, this, and this is what's gonna happen, right? Like, I'm, this is gonna be dope, watch this. You go out there, you do this, this, and then the result wasn't quite what you was looking for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now you have to ask yourself, what could I, what else, what else could I have done? You know what I mean? Or is this really for me? You know? And that's not a that's not a wrong question to ask yourself, you know, because you have to be reaffirmed in either your ability to persevere and say, I'm gonna continue regardless of the outcome, because I want this that bad, or um, I know there's a few things that I thought about doing, but I didn't do, and I probably should have did that. I need to add this, you know what I mean? How do I make this more impactful? What was the response that I got from it? You know what I mean? What response did I get from that result? Did I follow up with that person to kind of interrogate them a little bit more about what they might have thought was missing from that? Did I interrogate myself, you know, to find out, Yo, you remember that a couple nights you really didn't do what you were supposed to do in preparation and you know you could have done those things but you opted to do something else, you know? Um, or did I even spend as much time as I could have, you know, on a whole? I learned from uh, a former guest named Malik Mooney. He said something and I'm paraphrasing what he said and I'm changing it up a little bit. He says, he actually said, quote, 
you don't have to be a bad person to be bad for me. So I'm looking at what you're saying is you don't have to be a bad job or a bad situation to be bad for me. And you're telling people to evaluate that and make sure that your light is not going out no matter how great the optics look to everyone else. Is it for you? And that's where you can start first. And and, and I think sometimes success, success is is very, um, it's interesting because sometimes short-term success can ruin you long-term, you know what I mean? And because you're not, it makes you, it can sometimes make you less hungry and less investigative about what could I have done better? And sometimes in, in when we fail, it determined the, the course of where we go from there is determined on what did we do with that failure? How did I, you know, look at that failure? How did I evaluate what my opportunities were to, to do better or be better? Or maybe I'm thinking too small. Maybe I need to think bigger. You know what Question. I mean? Do you think or have you ever written down your failures because so many people like to dismiss their failures and keep going but have you ever written down your failures and internalized them and and really read over them and said this is where i failed and i need to evaluate my mistakes have you ever written those down or really just i mean people wallow in their failures and say i can't believe i failed but have you actually written down your failures and said i failed at this and then did a summary on why you know i haven't I haven't. And I probably need to do that because I mean, um, I do a lot of stuff in my head because <laughs> I, I think I'm just the type that you're you creative, know, man. Yeah. When, word, when your poet words come out, I, I was talking to my son, the general, and he said he was, he's a guest on the show as well. He said that he doesn't write anything down. He's in the Jay-Z category of music and goal setting. He just has sporadic things come off the top of his head. And I told him, when you rap, that's when your vision board comes out because you want us to phonetically, you want us to see what you're talking about through your words. So that's, that's a passion for you. I want to say the same thing for you. When you do your poetry or you say certain things poetically and you enunciate your words correctly, a part of that is satisfaction to your creative mind. That's probably why you don't write it down. That's, a, that's feel a like you're point. cheating. You probably feel like you're cheating the creative process. (laughs) I think I think you might be right. I mean, I I write notes in my phone. I do do that. You know what I mean? And I I write stuff down that is relevant to like a current project to try to organize my thoughts in the moment. But I think in terms of the long term, if I look back, you know, I definitely could probably learn a little bit more from um, having written down what I think might have been failures. But sometimes failures it's not as it's not as clearly defined as just you didn't you didn't win you know what i mean mm-hmm. because sometimes you win. that wouldn't be you sometimes but that sometimes you win like like rock <laughs> like rosie perez said sometimes when you win you really lose you lose yeah you know so you, success is failure turn inside out you know the silver kind of cause of doubt you never can tell how close you are maybe near when it seems so far it's it's you know it's it's one of those things where I don't quit with what it is that I know that I'm going towards. And I think from that standpoint is that I'm relentless in how do I discover something that is not, it doesn't exist. It's the thing that as a creative, I am required to bring it into existence. 
my creativity, if, if I am truly uh, created in the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. Then perhaps that image that I am created in is, is in the ability to create something from nothing. To say, in my own life, let there be light. And in that let there be light, it is the creative project that didn't exist before that now creates a world and a universe unto itself. And I, I, I'm excited because I know I'm at the brink of that that evolution or it fully coming into um, existence because I'm speaking to the right things, the things that are right for this moment, you know, in in, in our time, you know. Universal universal talk, and I'm I'm starting to say this on every episode. Dr. Miles Monroe said, "When someone is murdered or dies in our community, it's like burning down a forest." Mm. And you're saying, let there be light. When someone dies, you're burning down an entire forest because you don't know what seeds and things they would have given to this world to help grow our harvest. Mm. Yeah, that's profound. Yeah, that profound. I say it a lot. I know some people that listen to this show regularly are saying, this guy says the same thing. I say the same things because... I want you to remember how impactful they are. Like for another another guest named Jermaine Scott said, "You can rest, but don't quit." Mm. So, yeah. so cer- certain certain things I hear people say, and I'm definitely getting a lot of gems from you today. And when I go over this episode, I will be repeating certain things you said, especially what you just said about "Let there be light." That was yeah. very impactful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about it though. You know, if if we are Sometimes when, when, when people think about you were created in the image of, of God, right? They think of, you know, he looks like me, right? It's very, it's very primal, right? It's very limited. It's one dimensional, like, like, like it's a direct thing. But to, if we're thinking about somebody who's omnipotent, right? He ain't just creating you to look like him. You know what I'm saying? He's creating you to create because he realizes that there is more at stake in your ability to do those things. Mm-hmm. For you to be able to create, you know, if we're dealing with the egotistical God, yeah, he creates you to look like him, right? That's what a man would do. That we're applying a man's concept of himself and his greatness to how we're created versus understanding that as creatives, that our, our charge, if you will, is to create something that didn't exist, that serves purpose, that continues to perpetuate creation. It is supposed to perpetuate, your creativity is supposed to perpetuate creation. That's it. There is one place that you have not looked and it is there, only there, that you you shall find find the master. I'm trying to tell you, boy, that movie was so deep. It was. As a kid, it, it was, was amazing. We are talking about the movie Last Dragon. If you haven't seen it, if you're young, you probably won't like the cinematography or the action, but the words, even the soundtrack was so uplifting. I'm going to throw something else at you. She said to him, you sure look like a master to me. A person from the outside looking in at him said, you sure look like a master to me. Damn, that means it's there, it's there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But the question is, do you believe? Willie Hutch, soundtrack to the song. Willie Hutch is the guy who did the music for that song. And I can't remember the words word, word for word, but when you got the glow, you need the glow to grow the glow. 
when you love to live you boost yourself to another level and there's no stopping you when you reach that upper level your mind body and soul must be one it's a sacrifice listen it's a sacrifice it takes hard work it's a way of life that's what he says in the record but since he says it at this high pitch on a disco beat you'd be like yeah yeah but he's giving you the gem right there but see that's the thing a lot of this stuff is already in front of us but we don't we unfortunately we define it based on how it's presented to us but we have to realize that you have to look at it good you got to look at it good and receive it you know what i mean and and the the people who are, are seeking and and good listeners or are are looking for the gems and don't define how they find it based on how it is presented to them. Because understand, a bum on the street can drop jewels on you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? A thief, a prisoner, some of the people that that we would say to ourselves, you know, that person has no expertise whatsoever. What can I learn from him? You gotta understand that you can learn from everybody. The question is, are you listening? People gotta understand that some people are locked up because of their expertise. Hey, I got one for you. People don't realize that even some of the the things that have been laid in front of us as um, allegory and just fictional narratives also speak to some truths. I don't know if you're familiar with, um, are you familiar with uh, Alexander DeMoss? No, educate me, sir. So DeMoss wrote uh, The Three Musketeers. Are you familiar with Three Musketeers? Count of Monte Cristo, right? Correct. Dumas is Haitian. A lot of people don't know this. You know what I'm saying? He is Haitian. He, they would be they would refer to him as a mulatto at that during that period of time, uh, because you know he had a lot of uh, European features, but he was also had some African features. But this man wrote the story that was really bits and pieces of his father's story. His father was the first general in the the French military. And until Colin Powell became general, he was the highest ranking general that ever was um, on on earth. Um, Mm. And that was Charles Alexander Dumas. And there is a book, um, I wanna call, I think think it's uh, Black Count, I gotta remember. I can't remember, there's a book about his father. And his father was like, from Haiti hate, not like, Mm. You know, my parents are from Haiti. His dad was from Haiti, you know, and his dad created legionnaires who were special forces in the French military, okay? That might be considered musketeers, right? But his son wrote his story in bits and pieces and created characters fictional, but the basis for those stories are inspired by his father's life. Even the Count of Monte Cristo, you know, a man being imprisoned but was truly innocent. That essentially happened to his father. His wow. father was imprisoned by Napoleon. And a lot of it had to do with Napoleon's jealousy because of this, you know, Negro who was, was gaining favor uh, throughout the French military because of his brilliance and expertise. Napoleon couldn't have that. Wow. Hey, listen. And it's hidden because they they give us white characters for for the Count of Monte Cristo. They give us white characters for the Three Musketeers. But got to understand, 
Alexander DeMoss wasn't going to write a book about black people being, you know, doing great things and being successful. But if you think about the characters in the Count of Monte Cristo, not the Count of Monte Cristo. If you think about the, yeah, if you think about Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers, those characters sound like black characters. A man who's innocent, who's thrown in jail. <laughs> I got one for you. The Three Musketeers, right? Cats that sword fight in ways that astound. They like the Harlem Globetrotters offensive. Nobody could, nobody could feel like they're so good, right? The way that they show off. Yeah. Sheen, the way that they show off. Right. And they have a thing for the ladies. Who is that? That's not white dudes doing that. That's brothers. <laughs> that's that's brothers. brothers. The flair that which they talk with, that's brothers. That's you know brothers. what I'm saying? I Easy. get it. I get it. Let, let you know what? Since you went there and you talked about saying how the flair they have with the ladies. I I talked to several other brothers around this, you know, the squad, the guys I talked to. And we came up to a conclusion that this is the question I have for you. I want to know your answer. Did okay. you ever get a sex talk? Who or what gave you sex education? No sex talk, man. The village, the, the village was my my sex education. <laughs> we gotta do better as men to really have a real sex talk if That's you true. have a son in your life. I, I know women, I'm not excluding you, but this show right here is about solutions in manhood. So please just bear with me about this particular situation. Men are going out there uneducated with fired up blood pressure, that blood that travels to a muscle and they just going ham because the, if there's no foundation at all, that's who he will be his whole life. Mm -hmm. Slave to the blood pressure. <laughs> or I like to refer to it as your primal instinct, your right? Primal your instinct. Primal instinct, man. You know, that, it, it just that goes left on you. <laughs> it goes left. You wonder mm -hmm. why some guys just get the, the big eyed and do something stupid and mess up their whole life is because there's really no foundation ever. Like there was no foundation since it was little. Can you tell us a story how you first found out about adulthood being a primal fear? Or not not even that, not even your story. Give us some information that people used to tell you before you discovered it for yourself. Cause you know, some people say, hey, you know, just throw a condom on your, on your banana. You know, just something weird that, that uh, does not explain anything. Um, I think it's, I think the one that I think I, it gets brothers in trouble is is that you you got to tell her you know what i'm saying she don't yeah. she don't know what she want to do until you tell her you know what i'm saying that you are constantly the person who is going to you know create illusions and speak spells that make her do things you know what i mean to me on a certain level the charm the, our ability to engage women, a lot of it is, do you want her to be captivated by what you say? Or do you want her to be captivated by what you do? And I think that is probably, that's the advice I wish somebody would have told me. No, nah, no, we're not talking about that. We are not talking about that. We're talking about straight, hey, if you're gonna have sex, this is gonna happen. You need to wear this. This is what sex is. See, we're right, even right I, now. Nobody, mind, nobody you're like, wow. wow. I never listen. It's I, a I never, I think amongst dudes, you know, it was always about beating it up, 
Yes. Or, uh, you know what I'm saying? Why do we run? Why do we run from that actual talk with the next generation? Or the, why did the generation before us run from the talk? It is such a responsibility because women mature faster yeah. than us. So therefore, they already made that decision what they're going to do with you before you yeah. probably even know. But you play it cool because you know you heard your boys talk about it or whatever, or it's going down. But literally, you can. There's a lot to go along with that, man. There's a lot. There's a lot, yo. I mean, I think. I think another thing too is, you know, um, I can remember like just dudes really being bent on, like, I think the worst advice I ever got was like, you know, the the you like having a, a girl that's kind of like your wifey, mm-hmm. and then the girls that you mess with, and you are not in a real relationship with the one that is the proverbial wifey, you just spend a little bit more time with that person and then you smash other chicks. There was a period in the 90s where that was the overlying philosophy. Over and, over and under a bets. <laughs> yeah. It was like you could have um, the girl that is the girl that you've seen with and you, you, you know, you, y'all date, right? And then there's other girls that you smash. And to be honest with you, you're just smashing her too, to be honest with you. She is not wifey. She's you're just you're just smashing her with com- more conversation. And I think that's the that's the fallacy of that. Right. That- I, I get that part. But just mm-hmm. the actual talk of sex before you even get to any of the just in general, like people saying you gotta master who you are. A lot of man is touching sex. In certain in, in, a, in the young primal days before he discovers knowledge and and find out that the iron is hot right but he right. Needs, but but initially his little weed whacker is gonna get hard when he turned like eight or nine right yeah. I'm not saying he's gonna do anything about it but in my opinion he needs to know and especially in a world where everything's a click of a button away to see whatever you want to see without sanction why are yeah. we not really like I don't know. No one knows how to have these tough conversations. So you just got to go have them. There's no knowledge to drop. You just got to really do. know your kid or know the kid you're talking to where both of y'all are going to be embarrassed, but both of y'all are going to benefit in the long run from that conversation because yeah. it, it puts up a real mental block. I'm going to say this. When you're a man and you have not had a sex talk and you're engaging in foreplay with a young lady, there's a big difference in the moment where that condom is one arm, one reach away versus she's saying, just get in there. Your conscious thought to stop and be safe because you had to talk, someone talk to you about it. That split second can change lives. Yeah. That's a I, split I second. Because once you're in, you in there, you in there. If I were talking to, so I've got two nephews, right? If I would have that conversation with my nephews, I would say to them is that, you know, the difference between um, you have when you have sex with a woman is understanding the possibilities become endless at the point in time where you either put a condom on or you don't put a condom on. And actually, even if you put a condom on, mm-hmm. stuff happens. Stuff happens. So now, who you lay with, keep this in mind, who you lay with can be a lifetime commitment. So you have to be very selective on who you lay with, who you choose to lay with, right? Because if you have got, you know, God forbid you put the, you put the comment on, it breaks, 
you know, mistakes happen. Now she could be having a child and part of who she is, is in you. <laughs> this is the thing we don't forget because you lay with her. But if, if y'all end up having procreating and having a child now, who you are and who she are becomes one thing. And you might find yourself in conflict with how you raise that child. Mm -hmm. If you decide to be together or not, you know what I'm saying? Cause you always gonna love your child. Even if you have nothing to do with her, but understand that part of her is now part of you. She and I think that's, that's, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think that's something that kids don't reconcile at any point in time that because it's part of being young and being invincible that I control everything <laughs> and nothing's going to happen unless I choose for it to happen. But you got to know, there's a lot of brothers that have been down that road and they're like, man, but nobody glad my, my child is here, but I wish it was with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Should there be a basic tra training program amongst men? It's basically what we're talking about, like a level of education outside of the education system, outside of the church, outside of the Boys and Girls Club, community-based program where people donate their time within the neighborhood that build financial literacy, communication, how to change a tire, gardening, how to change a tie, general wealth building camps like stock and real estate. Like we're really talking to kids super early about sex. And then we make kids sit with the elderly. Yes. because they're the ones who are still living to catch that wisdom to bring that humbleness because the elderly they're a good a majority of people who are hypocrites you know what they say I don't like old people hmm. how, how could you say that there's only one way you're going That's true. <laughs> so That's it, true. It, but, but only if you had more time to spend as a community and everyone knew each other I think communication in terms of violence would go down i think we would see more people have more financial literacy people would, would would live better lives in any community it didn't matter how poor they are because the fist together is better than the fingers apart i'm gonna say um in terms of how we educate our kids far too many times we trust people that we don't know with educating our, our children and people whose jobs are to create a certain result for the school, not a certain result for the individual. And so to that extent, you know, the institutions of learning are, are critical and important, you know, elementary schools, what have you, but there should definitely be formal education outside of those institutions where you can kind of, you know, specialize how it is that you want to educate kids according to, you know, men and women. But I think understanding that Men can, can groom other men, right? But women also need to nurture and grow up men as well because they have to understand who they could be to women. And that's the thing that as guys, we think we could tell men how who they could be to women, but how could you tell a man who he could be to a woman? And really, women are the ones that determine how good you are in general to them. You know what I'm saying? So it has to be a balance. To me, it has to be a balance. You know what I mean? If we are truly understanding that um, who we are is to, to be a community, then we should learn from the community. You know what I'm saying? There are men that could definitely instill the things that are gender specific. But if you're going to deal with the opposite sex, shouldn't you ask them? 
<laughs> like, what do you think? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, you're supposed to. And I think there are aspects of what, what I will say of my manhood that, yes, should be able to put on a tire, should be able to grab some tools and do some other things. But guess what? I should also be able to cook for myself. I should also be able to do the laundry. You know what I'm saying? And it not be Absolutely. a situation where I'm demanding that she do it because I can't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, and who that, knows? That's what I mean. Family dynamics change. You know what I'm saying? And, what if, what if the, the, the mother to your child ain't there? You know what I'm saying? That can happen. For God forbid what the reason is. What I'm saying, what that's you what do? I'm saying. Like we got well-rounded individuals at any time can pick up pick up the uh, the weight of the next person that can't do it at the moment yeah you know everybody should know how to wash clothes both the counterparts whoever your partner is everybody should know how to rotate because some people get tired the world beats you down when you come home you need you need that circumference bruh my mom had me clean the gutters on the roof cut the hedges cut the grass and i, I used to be able to do the laundry and iron clothes vacuum all right do the dishes you know what i'm saying fix the door you know what I'm saying? All that other stuff, you know what I mean? I, I, I did it all. And I think the reason why I did it all is because I had to help my mom with my sisters. And not just help my mom, I wasn't just helping my mom. I was helping my mom, I was helping my household. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, at the end of the day, if you a man, right? Or you're looking to be more than a man, then that means you could do it all. You could do all of it. And even if you don't know, you know how to learn, don't you? <laughs> and learn. That sounds like something your mother said to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, my mom used to say things like, "You better pick up your book and read." Them people on TV, them have the medication already, you know. No bother, make a fool of yourself. It's like, damn, you're right? You're right. Those people have the education, and I need to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Look at the day. I want to do. I want to do a poll with you real quick. I'm. Okay. I, it's about a woman's criteria from like the top three things you want in a woman. I talk to men. I talk oh, to women, and I I never hear for me. I never hear this one thing. This one quality that I think is very important. So I poll people all the time, and it's only one guest that got it right. And I'll tell you the guest that got it right out of everyone so far. But please, Mr. Watson. Give me the top three things you want in a woman. Oh man, top three. I would say number one, um, you know, aesthetics aside, right? Um, internally, I need her to have to be a woman uh, that has faith. Number one, I need her to be a praying woman. That's very, very important. Um, number two, I need her to be wise, you know? I need her to be good counsel, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, that like, I'm gonna make decisions, good and bad ones, and I need somebody I could, you know, have that conversation with yeah, time yeah. to time. If you're gonna lay in the bed with me, you're gonna be by my side and we're doing this thing forever, you, you gotta have a little bit more to contribute than, you know, the basics, you know what I mean? So wisdom is gonna be important. And I think the third thing, um, that that I would need is patience. Patience. So you got it right. I equate, I use the word intelligence, but intelligence yeah. and wisdom to me are the same. They can be. They can be. 
Intelligence, um, I've never heard a man or a woman put intelligence in a person as a top three. I want to say it can be, I like wisdom better than intelligence because you could just be a smart, dumb N-word, right? <laughs> like, Listen, think about it for a second. You know, there were slaves that didn't have great educations, but were so wise that they were able to do great things and people would be astonished. Like, oh my goodness, how did you build this thing? And you didn't go to engineering school. You know, think about something the Lord made, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the, the brother's name, but <laughs> it's from the movie something the Lord's made. But something the Lord made, and most deaf played the surgeon, right? Yeah. But he wasn't he wasn't college educated. You know what I'm saying? He learned by doing. You know what I mean? And to me, a lot of it had to do with what he saw as almost common sense. You know, some people refer to with, wisdom. Like, common sense and wisdom, you know, are very close cousins. You know yeah, what I mean? Very much. And that those sensibilities mean that essentially I may not have all the information, but I can sift through and, and look at the principles that are involved here. And I make good decisions based on principles. And to be honest with you, all information is, is made based on principles. You know what I'm saying? Those are just information is the details. Intelligence is the details, right? But if you're dealing in principle, a lot of people can make really good decisions and strategize just based in principle. Well, you are the first person I ever heard say, I want my wife to have wisdom. We heard, I always hear God fearing, absolutely. And then it, it depends on the person, whether how fine you want to be or loyal. You hear loyal a lot, you hear those things, which is nothing, there's no wrong answer to what you think is for you, right? We talk about leaving a legacy, but we mostly ignore major steps. Do you have a will? I don't have a will. I don't. Um, so project number one this year is to, I, I want to create a trust. And a will is great. I do need, I need a will too. But a trust does not have to be probated through the courts. A trust is an opportunity to speak to all the things that you want to have done in a will and executed under EIN, under its own entity to say, that this living trust is to be carried out when I'm gone. Whereas a will has to be probated through the courts and can take one, two, three years before it's actually executed and you gotta pay. But if you do a trust, and this is what I've learned recently, if you do a trust, a trust is executed to everything that you need to have done and you don't need a judge. You don't have to pay court fees. It's a living trust. Hey, I had a, another guest on the show by Mr. Cameron Wessler. He talked about PODs, payable upon death. Yes. And so I, since, you work at, yeah, since you work at the bank, I'm sure you know everything about those, right? Yes. I just yes. discovered that recently just doing the interviews. And I also discovered how he talked about how his other cultural friends take out life insurance policies on their parents to make sure that funeral fees and stuff is covered and continue the lineage of wealth building in the family. So they look at right. death as an investment versus how we as African-Americans look at death as the final stage of, wow, that's it, we're transitioning. I don't wanna talk about it. Don't you dare speak death around me. Why do you think we feel that way about death since we're such spiritual people? I think, um... So let's 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 be honest. The system that we've created uh, has found a way to yes monetize death, right? So let's 
let's not kid ourselves that on the other side of it, that this is not a industry that is, has created wealth for itself, right? The insurance industry has created wealth for itself. But if that is the thing, if that is the institution, then yes, um, the investment in understanding that a person is, it's inevitable going to pass away, then in preparation for that, then we should be financially prepared because there are gonna be expenses associated with that. But even more important is understanding that their commitment to, in, in whatever it is that they labored to do in this life should also be a benefit to those that they leave behind because think about the amount of time that they spent doing whatever it is that they did for a living away from their family. Right, and, so and, and I agree I agree with that. But you know what else I thought about too? Is the fact that we're not educated enough to know, we, we're not educated, we're ignorant to the to these extra attributes, so to, so to speak, right? What I also thought about, I'm also, I'm a firm believer in following the money. And what I mean by that is, when something goes wrong in corporate America, you follow the money to see when everything's gonna start happening. Even though the NBA was in the bubble at one season, to me, I knew they would keep playing because TV contracts needed to be fulfilled. The money was the most important thing that brought those players back together. Now, they argumentably, they might say, no, we came for black rights and it's wrong about people being shot in the street. I get it. I'm not against that. But money always has something to do with it. So by me thinking that way, I'm thinking to myself, if we knew enough to start putting insurance policies on us at young ages, older ages, where these insurance companies had to pay out a lot of money if one of us died, would that lower police brutality? Because now every time a police officer kills one of us, these insurance companies are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars upon a black man's death. You gotta That's stop true. killing them because now you're killing the industry of insurance. If we were That's privy true. to that, would that help slow down? Do you think that would help slow down anything? I think that might, but then it might be, because <laughs> this is the thing, insurance is, is also a calculation of risk, right? And so <laughs> they might they might determine uh, um, he's under 18, he, he lives in Newark, New Jersey. He drew, they he live in, a, in an area that is high criminality, uh, as of course, a high police presence. Yeah, your premium is gonna be $20,000 a year, <laughs> whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. But you got to understand that they, that they what is it? Uh, I think it's a, is it, is it an esthetician? It's, it's a person that calculates the risk and how much we should, they should um, determine is going to be the amount to cover a person's life, uh, given this is what surrounds their live. life how they yeah, live you know what I mean? well, so I think, I think at first that would be successful but yeah, i think at a certain point they would make adjustments <laughs> come on that's that's what but, they but do but they but you know that's that's when we would always follow the money and change our rule we should be upgrading when they upgrade because you know they yeah. right now we can never be comfortable because every time we get comfortable they know an upgrade is coming it's like that's the true. world how the world has been changed with everything's going on now but that's a whole nother conversation i want to talk husband talk okay now, there's no wrong answer for this right. question. I Depends just want to hear. Let me stop. <laughs> Depends if the wife is listening. Let me stop. Well, I want to. I want to hear what your answer is going to be, and and I guarantee right. whatever answer you get, she's going to give you a nice hug and a kiss from hearing this answer. Sure. 
All right, so Ms. Watson, I hope you're listening. All right. I'm listening. <laughs> As a husband, would you rather have a great woman or a great wife? So that's a great question. Um, <laughs> and to me, I think, I don't, so this is the thing. I feel like if I have a great wife, that's so self-serving. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so selfish and out of fear that that person is, is not going to like themselves mm. at the end of it all. So I feel like long, short term, great wife, big W for me. I win, right? Long term, does she love herself, respect herself, and feel good about who she is? And so to that, I would rather it her be a great woman. You know what I'm saying? And know that we're married and know that, you know, I am just as interested in her individual growth and success as I would want her to be in mine. So I would want her to be a great woman first, to be honest with you, just because at the end of the day, um, if that person is not happy with who they are, then how could they ever become or be a great wife? You get what I'm saying? Hey man, there's no wrong answer, brother. Hey, I think yeah, all the women yeah. out there are impressed. I'm impressed. Woman, I love that answer though. That's a great you answer. Gotta go a great woman. You know you what I mean? Go, I okay, woman. go with a great woman. I'm not bound by her being the, my, my wife. You know what I'm saying? I'm not bound by that. I'm bound by our partnership and our relationship. And that begins, the basis for that is just her, her being a great woman. You know what I'm saying? I benefit from that. You know what I'm saying? Off top, you know? And I would even say I benefit even more from that because we can learn from each other. You know? If she's just, you know, my wife and just doing the things that, that fit that role, that's so limited in scope. You know what I mean? Hey, I hear you. I hear you. Great answer. Great answer. Validation from your partner. It's like you win a championship when you meet the right woman. But Mr. Watson, do you defend the title? And what I mean by that is, are you still doing the good things you used to do to make her smile and happy or the upgraded things she requests? Are you still being the best versions of yourself where you are right now to make her say, that's my boo. <laughs> wow. That's that's hard to, to, to answer. Uh, I'm not sure if I understand the question, but I'm going to take a shot at it. And, and you well, it was me. like you, you earned all your woman's trust. She married you. She wanted to be with you. Sometimes when men get stuff and we obtain it, we take a step back and say, I did it. I ain't really got to maintain it like that. But right. think of LeBron James every year. He's trying to win a championship. There's no, oh, I hope my team makes the playoffs. Uh-uh. I play for championships. So when you're in a relationship and you're in a marriage with somebody, you play for championships because there's other teams out there trying to score. <laughs> I agree. I, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. Uh, I like the fact that you use LeBron. So how about this, right? Um, LeBron is taking it even outside of basketball. Mm -hmm. He's winning championships with his people. Yeah. He's winning championships with what will be his lasting legacy, especially when he talks to his sons about what they want to be in life. Because it's not, he's hes more than a basketball player. You follow right. what I'm saying? And I think 
although some folks would say, why should he have to become a leader just because he is a wealthy basketball player? But to that, I would say is that if you're a black man in this society, then you have to take up the charge of making our community better because of all the things that we have suffered. You can't just be an individual success and it can't be limited to any one particular thing because there is a journey that we are on as a people to contribute to our community's elevation. You know, like I wouldn't be where I am being able to have these creative thoughts if somebody didn't think that way. If I agree King with you. I agree with you. Malcolm but get X back to the validation, Mr. Watson. Validation. Yeah. What Malcolm X could have won championships within the nation of Islam, and that would have just been it. He could have took care of all Muslims, called it a day, and said, this are thing you, that's are you, are you still Are you still competing hard, though? Are you still doing the things that she yeah, does? Yeah. I mean, I would think so. I mean, this is the thing, though. Um, I'm not going to leave it up to my own assertions. I'm like, yeah, I'm killing the game right here, man. Can't nobody do better than this. <laughs> You know why I am? Give me, you know give me yourself a grade. Give me, give me a, give a grade. A grade? Oh my goodness! All right, I, I think I would you, give myself. You know, if you felt like taking out on a date or not, I'm like, man, I ain't about to do that right now. Some sometimes we get, for lack of a better term, just I lazy. I agree. I, listen, I I would definitely say I, and see, I'm more of a football person, so I would definitely say I've been to the Pro Bowl a few times, and I love to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I want I want a few championships, but it's it's probably been a minute since I've been to the Pro Bowl. Probably been a minute since I won like a championship. So I would say that I probably get a B minus. You know what I'm saying? I'm giving myself. I, I, a B I respect that though. I respect that because these questions I ask are not just to get in people's business. I am letting other people know that it's okay that you can have a B minus or A plus, but this question needs to be asked to yourself to let you know that you still have to compete. I mean, you shouldn't have to, but it, it is a comp, it is a, a thing, right? To spice up the marriage, to, to still be romantic because things get mundane, things get worn down. Level up. Yeah, yeah, things become routine. And sometimes you gotta break that routine of, of whatever you're doing in your life every day, right now with your wife next to you, you still gotta give her a little bit of spark. Find it, it's there. And only reason is you're not doing it because you're not looking for it. So, so forever, right? That's forever. what marriage is supposed to be forever, right? Right. Think about forever and a person giving you the same thing. Right. Forever. Forever. Over and over again. It's rice, it's beans, it's chicken. Rice, beans, chicken. Rice, beans, chicken, rice, beans. Yo, no, you can't do that. That's unfair to you as a person because this is the thing. You can now become disinterested, right? Yeah, just only, the only thing, you just accept it as rice, beans, and chicken. You're not looking forward to it. You're saying- And oh, you the one cooking. You yeah. the one cooking. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? And then this is the thing. You know, you throw, start doing filet mignon and, and rack a lamb on the smoker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now the response you get is different. You know right. what I'm saying? It's an ecosystem. To me, a marriage is an ecosystem. You know what I'm saying? Don't break it, it down. It should constantly be evolving. To me, down. it should constantly be evolving. Now, I'm not saying I'm the expert at this, especially with a B minus. I'm not <laughs> saying that. But but what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, I've definitely leveled up, you know, at different points in, a, in our relationship. The only thing I would say 
my criticism of myself would be is the frequency with which I level it up. You know what yeah. I mean? The frequency with which I'm able to bring something that's a little different to our relationship, but still do the things consistently that allow us to be in relationship. That's the other part too, because it's a balancing act. You have to be consistent about the things that we love about each other. And then the growth part has to now find new levels, right? So yeah, we like having deep and profound conversations, you know? Let's do that in different locations. Let's go hiking now. Let's go, let's go to different art, you know, preserves. You know what I'm saying? Let's explore our minds together and it not be limited to a conversation on a couch, but our ability to access places and things that now expound help us evolve, you know, mentation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah, I, I would say that that's and then spiritually, you know what I'm saying? You know, how, how, are we praying together? You know what I'm saying? Are we are we giving each other the opportunity to grow spiritually, individually, as well as as a couple? And then do we do we find things that I might start doing that's new, and I and I and I offer, I offer yeah, this you to, you to join me. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I agree and, with that. And granted, it could be a new ring. It could be a new car. It could be an addition to the house. It could be those things as well. But it should be different levels. It should be experiences. It should. It should be like you should be like no. You should be Patrick Mahomes. No look past. <laughs> it should be that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It should be the. You should become, you know, a person who was once a pocket passer that now can run the ball as well. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I get it. The upgrade. I, I yeah. came up with something called operating at 100%. And what I mean by that is I took five categories and broke them down into 20% a piece. It's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Again, that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Purpose meaning you're working your purpose every day and you're doing things that you help get to the final level. Health is the things like meditation, prayer, eating right, exercise. Confidence, you're doing it without being intimidated or having any insecurities. Money, you made a little money today, you know, invested something or paid some bills or gave to a charity or something to develop. And knowledge, of course, is knowledge. You took in some new information and retained it, and now you're applying it to your life. Now, Mr. Watson, I ask you, within the last 24 hours, out of purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge, how much percent out of a hundred are you operating on? And what I I forgot what I forgot to say, and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to think about that. I take each average per day, add them up, and give myself an average every six to seven days to let me know this week I was operating at 83%, but my life goals required me to operate at least at 94. So you keep an account to where you are. So I ask you again, Mr. Watson. Within the last 24 hours, purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge, how much percentage have you been operating out of 100? Mm. So give me give me them one by one now, right? So Purpose, out of 20%. That is living your purpose, trying to get to the final level, doing the things that you think that is within your purpose. Uh, I'm operating at 20% on that. Okay, health, meditation, prayer, food, working out. 
I'm at operating at 15% on that. So we have 35% right now. You got to keep count. Confidence. Did you do it confidently? Did you fall into your own insecurities? Which means that's a big one. Confidence is a big one because it involves depression. It involves doubt. It involves different things that intimidate you not to proceed. It involves resistance. 10% on that. So you have 45%. Now money. Did you make a little money? Do a little investment? Did you give to a charity nonprofit? Did you pay a bill? Um, I'm at operating at 15% on that. What's that? Uh, 60% so far? Mm -hmm. And the last one, knowledge. Did you take in any knowledge? Uh, 15% on that as well. 75%. Look at you. Is that 75? You said 45, 5, 15. Yeah, 75%. 75% yeah. is not bad. It's not bad. Listen, yeah. for me, I, like I tell everyone, my biggest one I have trouble with is health. Some days I'm working so much in my purpose, I don't go out and work out or eat the right foods that require me. You eat something fast. Fast food is not good. You don't take the time to prep a meal, take the time to do that hour of exercise, or take the time to pray even or meditate. So health, yeah. I expounded on my percentage because I made it 40% for me because the confidence, money, and knowledge and purpose comes to me easy. Like money doesn't come easy, but in general, those other things is within what I'm doing right now. Talking to you is my purpose and I'm gaining knowledge from you and I'm doing it confidently. But within health wise, I'm here instead of doing the right things for my health. So I just wanted to encourage you to, to think about operating at 100%. If you can put that in your life, when you start doing things and you say, hey, I want to achieve this goal. We want this media company to be as great as it is. Am I operating at 100%? That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think the ebb and flow is, is important. You know, I think, I think there is a, a delicate balance between um, having that moment where maybe maybe you are in doubt and maybe maybe you need to experience that mm -hmm. maybe you need to experience that to really reset your focus in a way that allows you to have more confidence you know and maybe from a health standpoint um that that even if that routine um takes a decline you know it allows you to reflect on what am i really doing really because oh okay, what um, do you really because what because sometimes you're doing something towards your health, but you're doing something that is not as um, effective or efficient right. for your health. You know right. what I mean? So great, you ran five miles today, but did it really help to eat a chicken parm afterwards? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Lasagna afterwards? Hey, yeah. I, before we go, I want to tell you about this book. You 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 spawn my memory, and I want to send it over to you. I want you to check it out. It's about resistance. It's called "Do the Work" by Stephen Pressfield. It's okay. all about resistance. It's an easy read. It's only about eighty pages, I believe. Let me see here. Uh, Ninety-four pages. Ninety-four okay. pages. It's called "Do the Work" by Stephen Pressfield. It just talks about resistance. And as a creative, like you are, and like I am. I feel that all creators need to read this book. So you understand when resistance comes and understand that you got to keep pressing forward. That is just something you got to do because the devil learns from your mistakes and he learns what he did to you last time might not work. So he studies you as much as you study him. That's true. That's true. Thank you, sir. You are now part of the Silhouette Boys Club. It is people like you. you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. 
Now, before you go, we like to get referrals. We want to get another man on here on the show who you think can answer these gems and give out knowledge for us on this show. Do you have a name for us, sir? Uh, Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony. We're going to be looking. So you got to connect us with Brother Anthony. And we would love to have him on the show. And we love him drop these gems. Yeah, yeah. He actually works with and mentors young men in this community. I want to say, God forgive me, I'm probably going to... I think his his company, his nonprofit is called, I think, is it Useful Hands? I'm probably jacking it up right now. But if you find Brother Anthony, you will also find what he does in the community. And locally, he's definitely been heralded for his accomplishments with being able to create a space for young Black men to really come into um, understanding who they are and what it is that they can contribute and how it is that they can grow. He really focuses on young black men and I admire the work that he does in this community. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna go get Brother Anthony and you're gonna connect us. Before you go, do you have any social media shout outs you like to give for yourself where people can follow your company or see some of your work yeah. at these film festivals, something they can do to uplift you? Yeah, yeah, so um, got a shout out to uh, Black River Life Media. That's uh, my wife and I's uh, media company. But we also, within Black River Life Media, we uh, have projects going on. One is Venus Clapback, which is my wife's uh, podcast with her with her girl, um, Ebony Johnson, and my wife is uh, Colette Watson. And then there's Zojo, uh, which is effectively a uh, woman's mental health, um, holistic health uh, advocacy, um, it's, it's primarily on in, on social media, on Instagram. So if you look at Zojo, uh, Z-O-J-O, um, and really it's the focus really is on mental health. Particularly, we're going to have an event coming up soon where we're going to bring um, Black women into a park and give them the opportunity to get some mental health uh, services for free. Um, and then me, individual, as an artist, uh, outside of these projects, it's where I explore and I experiment, Afrostocracy. So you can find me at Afrostocracy on Twitter, Afrostocracy on uh, Instagram, Afrostocracy on uh, Facebook, and also Black River Life is on uh, Facebook as well, and Zojo's on Facebook as well. So find us there. Spell it out for them, man, just so, just in case they listen and they want to Yeah, I'm sorry. Afrostocracy is pretty complicated, I know. Um, so it's A F as in Frank, R as in Robert, I as in Indigo, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, O as in Oscar, C as in Charlie, R as in Romeo, A as in Alpha, uh, C as in Charlie, Y as in Yankee. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Before you go, I'd like to give an end quote from Miles Moreau that I started ending the show with. Okay. True success is not measured by how much you have done or accomplished. It's not compared to what others have done or accomplished. True success is what you have done compared to what you could have done. In other words, living to the maximum is competing with yourself. It's living up to your own standards and capabilities. Success is satisfying your own personal passion and purpose in pursuit of personal excellence. One question of the day, are you maximizing your life? Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. This has been Solutions.